This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. It's Monday morning. Welcome to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. Today, we're off to Italy. But before we go to Italy, Carol, how are you? I'm great this morning. I'm loving the Italian music. Absolutely. It puts me in the groove, Mal. Well, we need you in the groove. That's where we yeah, want you. Yeah, because we're going to talk about Italian food. We are. With our good friend. Well, welcome back home, Carol. You've been gone for two weeks, and we've, uh, we want to thank Leanne Galt for sitting in, being here with us for the last two Mondays. Uh, living in Leanne world, but you are off in Aspen. I was. uh, You're not in Aspen anymore. I am not in Aspen anymore, and I thank the lovely and talented Leanne Galt for everything she brought to the table. I was jealously watching you guys over the monitor from Aspen as you and Java cleaned your plates. Java, we chowed down, did we not? Yeah, Leanne spoiled us, like, really quickly. It was like two weeks, and I'm like, Where's the food? She brought <laughs> she brought big bags of food. She did. Thank you, Elaine. I know she's probably listening or will listen, so thank you. Thanks to Leanne Galt. For, oh, Leanne, I jumped the gun. I'm sorry. Right. No, no. For, for, for substituting uh, while Carol was away, but we're, we're glad to be back. Now, Carol, I, I don't know about you. It's been kind of quiet at my house this week. Um, you know, Kara's busy getting the uh, Canopy School open, and so she's really been under the gun and out a lot. So I've been sort of fending for myself, but, uh, I tell you what, uh, a friend of mine gave me some of these, uh, farm raised Louisiana white shrimp, uh, which is, I thought, nah, I don't know what this is going to be like, but anyway, they sent them and, and the company is called prime shrimp. You may have seen them promoting on uh, Rick Cleveland's yes, indeed. blog site. And so we, we had a, uh, some of those shrimp, and we made Alfredo, and it was really good. I mean, all things considered. You were thinking pasta in advance of Elaine. Right, subconsciously. Uh, but also last night, um, I had a big old fat steak cooked in a, in a black skillet, in a cast iron skillet, which I almost never eat red meat, particularly at night. But I, I went out on a limb last night. And had a beautiful ribeye, bone in, uh, and a if black skillet. If you go, skillet. you go big. Go big. But I did, I did have some lady peas to go with it, so I felt pretty good about it. Yeah, my the food at my house was pretty pedestrian, as they would say this week after a vacation. I, I hand carried heirloom tomatoes, some um, palisades peaches, and two apricots back from Colorado and the last of the heirloom tomatoes went yesterday but Hmm. we had the most fabulous tomato sandwiches in all forms cool with bacon without bacon it it was just delicious you know here locally uh, I rely on my friend David and my friends David and Melissa Patterson who have a fabuloso garden and they have supplied me all throughout the summer with squash and cucumbers and peppers and outstanding tomatoes. But lo and behold, they burned out quickly. It's a local agra- uh, agrarian term, burned out. They, yeah. They were, they were great. They were beautiful. They were fabulous. And then they were gone. Yeah, so, and kind of turning mealy. I guess it was the rain and the heat. I don't know. David just said the tomatoes were gone. They had completely burned out. So 
now I'm off to the farmers, the local farmers. Yeah, markets. well, I'm I'm going to make the rounds because I want to make tomato sauce before it's all over with. There you In go. In fact, I was looking at our friend Elaine's recipe online a few days ago, and I think I'll do it her way. You're going to do the zucchini recipe, or, well, or no, the no, tomato the sauce? the tomato sauce okay. recipe. Okay. But speaking of zucchini, <laughs> speaking of zucchini. Yes. Today. 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 This day. Uh huh. Is National Sneak Some Zucchini Onto Your Neighbor's Porch Day. Oh, there you go. So you heard it Perfect. first right here on Deep South Dining. <laughs> uh, Elaine, our, our friend Robert St. John has a great story about when he thought he was going to become like farm to table and he grew all this squash and just, you know, kept giving it away. So he would sneak it onto his neighbor's porches uh, at, at night. But but when I saw that it was this day, it seemed so fitting because um, zucchini is from Italy. It came from Milan and didn't come to the U.S. until the 1920s. We were slow on the uptake. Slow on the uptake. But now we have plenty of Italian recipes to use your surplus, your zucchini surplus. That you found on your porch. Exactly. Or as Mississippi, we say zucchinis. The zucchinis. The zucchinis. <laughs> yeah. in, in Italy, they say zucchine. 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 Okay, Mal. Let's, let's, let's welcome Elaine Trigiani to the show officially. Elaine is a native of Mississippi. She has worked and lived in Italy for over 20 years now, and she... Uh, she introduces people to Italian culinary traditions, and she she's tied in with lots of artisan producers and farmers and chefs. I've experienced this firsthand. As have I. And she has a uh, MA in art history. And when I, Elaine and I first started hanging out, she was working in D.C. at the National Gallery of Art. Today, she combines her olive oil growing, her wine tasting, and her culinary tours with her art history classes and she does it online she does it in person but most of all we're just glad she came home to visit her mom on her birthday and came by the studio to be with us welcome elaine thank you very much for having me i'm happy to see both y'all we talk about you all the time uh, on this show we've had this show going for some three years and we constantly reference elaine trigiani this elaine trigiani that and uh, yeah and we're glad to have you in person and we talked about during the pandemic your classes online, which I took too, and they were just fascinating. But you are a great example of how people pivot during the pandemic. Thank you, Carol. And so talk- I never expected it of myself, but you have to when you have to pivot, you have to pivot. Yeah, and <laughs> and you're a people based business. I mean, your living is based on groups coming over, small groups, large groups, individuals. So talk about what that felt like and how you arrived at your newest version of yourself. Well, like we said, you have to pivot when you have to pivot. We didn't have much of a choice, and it's definitely a different thing not having people in front of you. But I realized the um, kind of the benefit of even reaching a larger audience. And we actually, um, I know I'm not a, I don't sort of, I don't love digital and virtual things. But we actually made a nice little virtual community like y'all have done with your cooking and coping page as well. Um, so we all sort of just naturally formed this group of people with like interests. So it was kind of, it was nice to have formed this nice little community and Again, it was just it was a good way to reach a, reach a bigger audience. Although it's certainly nice to have people 
um, they're right there in person. So I'm glad that we've so you're come back you're to back that. to touring and back to I've been putting together. I've been working mostly on putting together programs for small groups. So kind of a you know six or seven day program for either. Uh, people who come along on the trips that I've organized or even groups of friends who call me and say, hey, we want to do this, that, and the other, and I put together activities and programs for them. Uh, yeah, I brought a group over. It's been some some years, mm-hmm. about six or seven of us from, mm-hmm. you know, from Mississippi, and I have to say it was one of the best trips. And we were all, you know, very food-oriented people, and it was just magical. And we I would encourage anybody that's going over there uh, – to do that. But back back to your online classes, I was fascinated with the art portion. Mm. You, you start every class off with it's you know, it's an art lesson. It's an and art a lesson. history lesson. Right. And art history actually it's definitely art and history. And that was an, also an interesting um, kind of novelty for doing the online classes and you can just go anywhere. You don't have to only go where, you know, where your driver can take you. You can just go anywhere. Um, and then in Italy, food is so much a part of the culture, but so is art. And there are all of these just very, very local traditions um, in both art and food. So you can really discover places using kind of, you know, those two things as a, a window onto the culture. One of the episodes that interested me a lot was your episode on Sheffaloo and tuna. And that's because, Malcolm, we have so many Mississippians who are from Sheffaloo, mm-hmm. all the Delta Italians. And, you know, I had no idea how old, you know, how old it was in its place in history. But people from Sheffield, they had recruiting offices in Sheffield back in the 30s for Hmm. people to come to America. And, you know, the Luscos and the Gardinas and the Lillos, all all those people came, and Mississippi is so much better for it. Mississippi is better for it. And um, their uh, father, Paul Kanonichi, who passed away recently, wrote a book about that experience of I think it was the one his book that was called The Delta Italians. Mm-hmm. And he talks about you know how these people were in fact recruited to come over and have really influenced the culture of Mississippi. Now you've written a couple of guidebooks uh, of Sicily. Is that uh, is Sicily where your people are from? My people are from Sicily. Yeah. Yeah. Where in Sicily? They are from a tiny little town in the northwest of the island and it's called Poggio Reale. And I have relatives you know, that I've, you know, been kind of kept up with and, um, you know, visit often and speak to often. And we're actually collaborating on an olive oil project down there and that my cousin, who's a farmer, is kind of, um, you know, helping me find some contacts for um, what's going to be a Sicilian olive oil. That's the new enterprise. It's my new enterprise. All right. So how did the Trigianis come to America? Well, so my the Sicilian connection are actually the Canizeros. And I think okay. um, we have, you know, Canizeros and Trigianis. Um, here in Jackson, and um, the Trigianis are from Puglia, which is another, it's the heel of the boot, so also in southern Italy, a different region from Sicily. Um, They both came, both families came over in the late 1800s when poverty, especially in the south of Italy, was just rampant, and um, there wasn't a caste system necessarily, but there wasn't a lot of uh, opportunity for advancement if you were were born into a kind of a, you know, artisan working class family, that was going to be your life. So the idea of making a better life for yourself, literally the American dream, 
is what they were participating in. And then my Canazero relatives got on a ship in Palermo and got off in New Orleans <laughs> and literally went up the Mississippi River on a steamboat, ended up in Vicksburg. They lived in Monroe for a while. They lived in Natchez for a while, ended up in Vicksburg. Wow. wow. All right, we're going to take a quick break, come back, and continue to visit with our great friend Elaine Trigiani, talking more about olive oil, talking about wine, talking about the great food of the uh, Italians. And we will also take your calls. If you're interested, you want to ask Elaine a question or speak to Carol or I, we're always interested in hearing from you. It's toll-free. It's 1-877-672-7464, or we'll take an email at food at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back with Elaine Trigiani, Carol and I, and all the good Italian music that uh, Java has provided for us this morning. We'll be right back. Second stanza. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. Ah, yes. Welcome back. Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. Good morning, Carol. Morning, Mal. Java is in the groove. He's all over it. He's a DJ. DJ Java. These are good songs. (laughs) You can work them into your repertoire. Yes, sir. Yeah. In the studio today, Elaine Trigiani, our friend from, uh, well, she's a native of Mississippi. She lives in Italy now, and she works in olive oil and wine and culinary travels and programs, and she teaches and lectures and does all sorts she's of stuff. She's a renaissance stuff. We're so glad you're back home. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy to be here. I'm happy to be in here with y'all. Great. Well, we were going to talk about this zucchini recipe. We never got there before break. So, Carol, this is one of Elaine's recipes that you saw online. Yes, it is, Mel, and it was something that I thought you and I need to really, in honor of Zucchini Week, get on top of. A zucchini on your neighbor's porch. Yes. (laughs) This was, Elaine, your recipe for zucchini parmigiana. Yes, which was taught to me by this lovely um, woman called Agata in Calabria. This is a Calabrian version of zucchini parmigiana. Mm-hmm. And, and it uses lots of zucchini. So if your neighbor has left you a sack bowl, this is a good way to use it up. Mm. And people can actually get this recipe on your website, yes. Uh Okay, so let's t- let's talk about the recipe and ingredients we have. You're talking about white zucchini, but of course we don't. Can you can we use Mississippi zucchini. You can use Mississippi zucchini. Uh, whereas it's green or sometimes it's a couple, it's green and yellow. Even, actually, actually, that's a very good idea, the mm-hmm. yellow one. I haven't tried that. I think that's a great idea. Also because they have a little bit less water content. Right. 
So I think it might even work better. If you use the green ones, they in, in any event, they sit under salt for a little while. Okay. And um, you lose some humidity before you fry them. Fried before. You fry before you put them in there. You layer it up with some uh, cheese. Wow. And you, you fry in this recipe in semolina. Semolina, yeah. Just um, You want to talk a little bit about semolina? Semolina is hard wheat flour and... Um, as opposed to soft wheat flour, which is just all-purpose flour that you buy in the store and feels like talcum powder. Um, semolina is hard wheat flour, and when it's ground, it feels a lot like cornmeal, and you could actually use cornmeal. Okay, that's great. That's that's what I was getting at for people, especially in the small towns. You don't who have don't to buy have, something new. Who don't have access to semolina. Right, you can use you can use uh, cornmeal. You just dredge it, dredge your... Um, your vegetables, your zucchini and cornmeal, and then fry it. And then this, the lovely layers, just a tiny, tiny little hint of tomato sauce, just a hint, and then a little bit of hard-boiled egg and a little bit of um, some kind of a salami or something like that. Some kind of meat. Some kind of, <clears throat> some kind of meat. Some kind of meat. Um, I love, yeah, the word, and, and you've used this word before when I've had classes with you. It's restraint. 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 Use restraint. With the sauce and the salami. Restraint. Yeah, a little bit goes a long way, um, especially tomato sauce. You don't want it floating in tomato sauce because then it just covers it up. And the cheese that you use is provola. Um, provola. 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 Mal. Mm. Provola. Provola. Okay. Since we probably don't have provola on the shelf, tell us, tell us what we're going to do for this dish. You can use a... Mozzarella, which I think you can find in um, all sorts of places yeah. these days. You can use a mozzarella. Places. You can use any kind of a kind of a softer, milder cheese. Anything would work. Even mm. a, um, like you could actually use like a Monterey Jack. Oh, okay. And nice I, no- I noticed on your restraint, you said you know, pro- provola is not provolone, and provolone, provolone would kill it. Provolone would kill it because it's too strong. That's the more aged version that has would have too much flavor for this recipe. So you want something that's very mild. The, I, you're trying to get to sort of a, a balance between all the flavors. And again, restraint on all of them is key so that they just blend and nothing um, takes over. Okay, so everybody can find this uh, at elainetrigiani.com in the recipe section. It's zucchini parmigiana <laughs> and... Uh, Java, would it be possible for us to post this on the on the website? We will post a link with the podcast. Okay. All right. So That's happy great. zucchini Thanks. cooking, uh, dear friends. All right. On the phone, we've got uh, Joe calling from Jackson. What's happening, Joe? Man, what are y'all doing? Good morning. Oh, I got my seat. Good morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would Joe be Sherman. Joe Sherman. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look. I mean, three of my favorite, four of my favorite people counting Java. Hell, Java, when I'm on there, he never plays any Lebanese music. <laughs> We're going to fix that, though. Yeah, we will. <laughs> of course, because there's not any, I don't think. Uh, but but uh, Elaine, is great, it's great uh, listening to you on the radio this morning. And for those of you, Elaine did a tour for us in 2018 and 19, which were uh, phenomenal and have never have not, not not ever been to Italy. The first thing I ask her is, I want to see your butcher, your baker, and your candlestick maker. We, we, we did. We did, and we saw them all, and her artist, and she taught me how to knead dough for pasta in the well, and she you asked are... me, I know how to knead, and I said, the only thing I need to know is how to do it. So <laughs> she helped me 
You were not a very good was, student, but you got it. <laughs> I know I'm not a good student, but for those of you, I, I think I attend, Mary Pryor and I attended almost all of the classes on Zoom, and they were phenomenal. I mean, it was it started off as a small, not a real small group, but grew to over a hundred people, and it was phenomenal. And the my favorite recipe was porchetta. And oh, the secret right. ingredient was fennel pollen. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was the pork liver. <laughs> well, but, well, but nobody, yeah, well, it is the secret, but you've got to keep it a secret. So <laughs> nobody knows it's in there. Right. <laughs> Don't go around talking about pork liver. <laughs> so, but you can get it at Floral Butcher, because I did. <laughs> oh, really? That's very good. Right. Yeah. Nice tip. Joe, but Elaine anyway. was talking about how how the her classes online during the pandemic produced a community and i was wanting you to talk about the community it produced over here when people could see each other on zoom well, and maybe somebody saw a painting uh, on your so, wall so i was so i we were on the zoom class and um we're on her zoom class and mary Pryor and i was sitting on the sofa and behind us was a painting by uh, rick anderson uh elaine he and mary the the couple that went with us in 18 mm-hmm, i remember okay so we were sitting there, and then one of the uh, people, one of the participants, says, "We have a friend in common. You're sitting in front of a Rick Anderson painting." Well, it was our good friend now, Tim Pierce. Yeah, he, so he we met and formed a community through your community. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And then, yeah, so it was, you know, it's just amazing that uh, the people that were on there. Uh, that's how I met Elaine's mother. You know, right. <laughs> so it's it's it was it was wonderful, and it, it was between that. In cooking and coping, for those of us that participated, uh, it really was a lifesaver and a community builder and pro- something that will stay with us for the rest of our life. Well, it was a lifesaver for me, too. It was so nice to just kind of, like you said, be together with everybody. Um, we were getting together uh, twice a month at that point. And I, th- there is a pause in programming, but we're going to pick it back up in October. So uh, You were actually October. in your kitchen. In, I, in your, well, I, tell us. I broadcast live from my kitchen in Tuscany. And I have a sidekick who is a chef and a tech person, and he's uh, Lorenzo, an Italian friend of mine, who likes to pipe up with his, he's a kick, (laughs) he likes to pipe up with his grandmother's recipes and tell me how I'm doing it wrong sometimes. Thank you very much. But we have fun, and um, so we'll be back. (laughs) Right. But we're not. Just just be clear there. <laughs> Tell us about your kitchen and your where you live. So I live on the estate of a medieval castle um, in the hills southwest of Tuscany. And my house was an old farmhouse. And it's been there. Um, the first buildings, the first outbuildings where I live were built in the late 1400s. So anything that you think of, you know, running water, for example, was an afterthought, right? So, you know, think of external tubing, and uh, my kitchen has a very large fireplace that two people can sit in, and that, of course, is where they cooked, and, you know, that's where, that was kind of literally the heart of the house, the hearth, Um, and so that's still my kitchen. And I also have a lovely Viking Range in my kitchen, thank you very much, courtesy of Viking Range Corporation. So I have um, the extremely... Uh, historical fireplace cooking, and then my lovely modern Viking range. All right. Joe, we appreciate you calling, always being a part of the family. It's good to hear from you and Thanks, take Joe. good care. Right. On the on the phone, we got Diane calling from Ocean Springs, and she wants to talk about chickens. Yes, I was wondering, can you tenderize chicken that's been cooked too long? I cooked my chicken breast a little bit too long. 
Uh, the question is about tenderizing the chicken breast. Yeah, can you can it be made tender again after it's been cooked too long? Oh, after it's been cooked? I don't think that, uh, no, but what you can do is prevent that from happening by brining it. Let it soak in some salt water for an hour or two before you cook it. Okay. All right. Thank yeah. you. I would think once it's cooked, it's the the cat is completely out of the bag. Pretty and much. There's not much you can do once except it's feed it to the cat. And it's it's dried. I I will chop it up and do a stir fry with just you with know dry some, chicken with some bites. Or yeah. make, okay. make chicken salad out of it. Yeah, mayonnaise yeah. helps everything. There you go. It is. Ain't that Truly. the truth? So Elaine, can you talk a little bit about the similarities and the differences between the uh, the food culture that you grew up with in Mississippi? and the Italian that you practice today and the similarities, differences, if there are any? Interestingly, I grew up in an Italian family, but um, the development of Italian food culture over here kind of follows, just, and it would, the development of culture in general from immigrants. And so people who came from an extremely, you know, poor background with la cucina povera, which means, you know, literally poor folks cooking and making the most out of your ingredients and, you know, turning zucchini into your Sunday lunch meal, basically, um, really got kind of gussied up over here after people came over and had a little bit more, um, you know, more money in their pocket. Um, so it's interesting to see some of the, how the recipes maybe that one thinks of as traditional Italian recipes are actually a lot simpler and again, a lot of restraint is practiced. But there are some similarities and, you know, interesting things, just ingredients even. I saw mustard greens when I was down in Sicily, and I could just hardly believe it. And, you know, I, this was a while ago. I saw them in a market and had one of those moments where you get tears in your eyes. I just could <laughs> hardly believe that. And then I started thinking about my ancestors who were ripped out of, you know, basically ended up, my personal ancestors had to leave because of a death in the family. I don't think they really wanted to cross an ocean. Um, and start a new life, but they did. But it must have been kind of nice to see mustard greens, you right. know, some familiarity kind of thing. And now with African immigrants coming up from um, the African continent, okra, all of a sudden you can find okra. I never, I'd really? never seen a piece of okra. And now all of a sudden I'm like, I, and then, you know, I have, I have friends who are like, what is that? It's so slimy. I'm like, let me, let me tell you. <laughs> find up some okra. <laughs> no, it's been kind of nice. It's interesting though, I, mean, I have been living in Italy for over 20 years and I definitely feel like I can cook Italian food, but inside my heart, you know, I want to make a pie. And I was thinking about this. There was a quote from a Western author. It might have been Wallace Stegner. I can't remember. And Malcolm, I think you actually gave me this book. But it talks about it takes five years to learn a new landscape. Right. You know, how, before you feel comfortable in a new landscape, it takes five years. Well, how long does it take to feel comfortable in a new cuisine or in a new culinary situation. Mm. And I don't know, I'm not sure, the, I don't know what the answer to that is, but it's more than five. Wow. Well, when you were talking about cooking pies, that reminds me of being in classes with you. And the first time I saw a recipe for olive oil brownies, and I'm like, yeek, what's going, <laughs> you know, what, what's going on here? But uh, you use olive oil instead of butter is I do. That's olive oil is an interesting. I got sucked into the olive oil world because of its versatility, and it's really easy. First of all, it tastes good. It's really, really good for you, and it's actually it literally enhances foods. It kind of works like a little pinch of salt does. Um, so it's easy to incorporate into your diet if you 
so desire, you can um, sub, sub it in for all sorts of oils and butter. And when we come back from our break, we're actually going to have a small olive oil tasting right here live in the studio. Elaine has brought some oils, and Carol has brought some oils. When we come back, we're going to do that. We've also got a caller from Georgia on hold here. We're going to take that call when we come back. And, uh, of course, we're with Elaine Trigiani, a friend of ours who lives and works in Italy. Grew up here in Jackson. She is a certified taster of olive oil and of wine. And she creates culinary tours and programs to travel across the country. She's based in Tuscany, and you can join her if you like sometime. And we'll talk more about that when we come back from our break. Non ha senso per me la mia vita senza te. Dimmi quando tu verrai. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee only financial advising firm and co host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White, Carol Palmer, Java Chapman, and our special guest, Elaine Trigiani. Welcome back, Elaine. Thanks. Java uh, has covered completely the Italian waterfront, uh, which are many oceans with this music. That's a high compliment, Carol. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. The ocean for, front. Yes, from Dean Martin to classical music. We're we might have grabbed. It's there. All right, we've got uh, Tony calling from uh, somewhere in Georgia. What's going on, Tony? So glad to hear from you. Good morning to my deep dial sighting friends. Thank you all very much. Well, good morning to you. Yes, good morning to you all. I just wanted to call you all and let you know that you do have a regular listener here in Milledgeville, Georgia. Milledgeville, uh, okay. In Milledgeville, Georgia. It's actually a former capital of Georgia. Oh, okay. And uh, I just want to let you all know that I found your broadcast a couple of years ago, and I am a regular listener. I really enjoy your show and and uh, the information about food. And uh, and I, I tell my wife and son, I always get hungry listening to you. <laughs> all right. Well, that's what we strive for. That is, and I hope you'll be hungry this morning because we certainly well, are. Well, I am as I'm listening to the discussion about the zucchini and other Italian-type recipes. Uh, I'm thinking that some of that may show up at the household real soon. There you go. All right, get in the kitchen. <clears throat> get in there and rattle some pots and pans, Tony. And we do appreciate you listening, and we more than that, we appreciate you taking a moment to call. It's always good to identify the family, Carol. I know. This is our, you know, We have cousins family. we've never met. I know it. I know. 
And now we're, we have friends in Milledgeville, Georgia. We do. We do. Also, on the phone, Mikey is calling from Mobile. She has a question about deep frying. What's going on, Mikey? Well, not deep frying, but uh, let me say, I, I agree with Tony. Y'all are such a welcome break from the sloggy, sweaty work I am doing, and I won't even say any more about it than that, okay? But, you okay. know, some things you just got to do, and thank you for the break from it, you know? It's um, uh uh, not deep frying, air frying. Air frying, uh, okay, sorry. Right, because I'm, I haven't done it yet. I haven't made the, the leap because I've got a whole bunch of already electronic stuff. I don't even use a stove anymore. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, the, the air frying thing is looking pretty attractive right now. For one thing, it doesn't continue to heat up everything, right. which is already hot enough now. I mean, it's, yeah, we're talking... And high humidity too, right? Um, but uh, so, but it's looking like this might be a good time to invest in it. My questions are regarding. Uh, okay, can you you can we do fried okra like what y'all have been talking about? It seems to me is as the the fried zucchini thing. Um, uh, is that a, is an air fryer good for that? And my my subsidiary question is when you use alcohol with things should you should you um like use a little wine or a little spirits um in a spray bottle on something before you put it in an air fryer oh, is that boy. a good or a bad idea well those are great questions and I, mikey you are out of luck yeah i do not air fry <laughs> nor I, do i we are traditionalists but you know m- malcolm and i have talked about this for a while yeah and we need to get Excuse me, yeah, get somebody we, on here. We need to get an air fry expert on the air. But, you know, I'm just looking at uh, recipes for air fryer okra, and it just looks delicious. And, you know, some of my favorite ways to do okra are Indian style right. with the Indian spices. And, um, gosh, if an air fryer will do it like it looks in these pictures. You're all in. Well, we will, uh, Mikey, we appreciate the question, and I think you've stumped Deep South Dining. And we will get an air fry specialist on here, somebody who knows a great deal about it, and get them to talk about it and uh, report out to you. We appreciate uh, the head scratcher. We need it every now and again, and we'll, we'll get more information about it. And, Malcolm, you know, we may have to be modern. We may have to. We may need to step it up. We not, may need to step it up. Okay. All right. So we promised uh, an olive oil tasting in the studio, Carol. So uh, how's that going to roll out? Well, let's just dive right into uh, the subject. Elaine is a professional. So tell us about, you know, a little bit about the history of olive oil and its place in Italian culture. So olive oil has been used in the Mediterranean basin for millennia, millennia. I mean, we're talking sort of at least, you know, what, 1500 BC at least. And um, it is a, the main fat used in the Mediterranean diet, which we all know is a very healthy way of eating. And in Italy, it is used all the time, you know, every day, all the time, all your recipes. Um, it's basically um, a fruit juice. It literally is like orange juice. You are um, there's no transformation that takes place. You just um, extract the oil from the olive. So it needs to be 
Um, you need to work with very fresh fruit, and it needs to be extracted in such a way that you don't mess it up because it's already perfect in the olive. And so that's what we do when we make um, extra virgin olive oil. We're very, very careful with um, our production process so that we get a super fresh olive oil that has a lot of flavor and a lot of health benefits. And olive oil is one of those foods, or I don't know how many foods there are like this, the better it tastes, the better it is for you. Mm. Um, and a lot of spice in olive oil literally means it's full of antioxidants, which I think we all know is a, um, a good thing to consume in our diets. So we have two oils here today, and I brought one that I made uh, which is from uh, an olive variety called Coratina. And we have another oil that Carol brought in that comes from California, and it's a blend of olives, a field blend, um, and it's a medium-bodied oil. And we're going to taste both of those. And um, let's just taste the first one, which is the California oil. The one up front here. So how, up front. tell us how, how we taste. <clears throat> so first just smell it. And this oil, it actually smells kind of nutty. Mm-hmm. And then to taste it, and y'all may, y'all, all of y'all listeners out there may not appreciate this because um, we have to make a little noise. Oh, boy. Um, we, well, I think we should just turn our backs. Um, <laughs> to the we micro- love sound effects. Turn, 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 we're about to get some sound effects. You're going to slurp. I, I'm going to slurp. <laughs> I think Java, I'm, are you ready to slurp? Can, can you, like, that's turn what, me off or something? That's, uh, no. that's what this <laughs> show is all about. That's, that is. Come Slurping. on. Okay. Go, go turn her mic line. off a second no. so she can slurp. Okay. Or so turn I'm, it going, down. I'm going to take about half a teaspoonful of olive oil into my mouth and just kind of slurp it back. And okay. you really, what you're trying to do is get olive oil literally all over the inside of your mouth so that, you know, so your taste buds can get a hold of it. Well, see, that's the sound that you need to be making you need to when make you're tasting the olive oil to get the proper taste. So this, yeah, tasting, we just literally took a sip of olive oil out of a cup. And I'm sorry I'm not Leanne Galt and I didn't show up with bags full of food. Because they're, they're the best way, of course, to really get through, you know, understand the olive oil is to cook with it and use it on food. Um, but tasting it straight out of the cup like this lets you know really what you're dealing with. And this is an oil that is it's very mild. does mm-hmm. have some nice pepperiness at the back. And that very nutty flavor very that nutty. you're tasting. Yes. I think Carol might not have had it in, stored properly in her kitchen. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Just guessing. Just guessing it was next to okay, the Okay, proper storage of olive oil. So olive oil is a fat, and it will, in fact, go rancid. And so the idea is to protect the fat from oxidation so it will not go rancid. And this very kind of nutty flavor, almost going towards hay in a way, is kind of a sign that it's on its last legs. It's still a nice olive oil, but you want to go ahead and use it up. I've been caught. Where do you, where do, where does one keep olive oil one properly? Would keep olive oil in a cool, dark place, and it really the temperature makes a huge difference. So most olive oils are bottled in dark glass so that um, UV rays can't penetrate. Um, but literally, you know, the bottom shelf of your pantry as opposed to the top shelf of your pantry makes a difference on maintaining olive oil's freshness and also its health benefits. Um, and then, you know, I usually keep a small bottle next to the stove, but it's something I use up within a week or two. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the treasure trove is in the it's in the dark, yeah. it's in, in the, the dark. back, yeah. in the down right. low. Down okay, low. I cool. do have to redeem cool. myself. I do have my main olive oil storage in a cabinet actually under the sink. Okay, perfect. There you go. Perfect. All right. Got it. N- number All right, let's two. taste number two. So number two is a uh, cortatina um, olive oil, so made from one variety. Wow, much more. Um, Floral. Well, yeah, really powerful on the front end. 
It's powerful on every end, this oil. Wow. And this thing is electric. It's electric. This is an olive oil. It's got a lot of kind of floral aromas, grassy aromas. It's much more complex than the lighter flavored olive oil, um, which was made that way on purpose. And the idea here is that, you know, you might use a lighter olive oil on a piece of fish, <coughs> for example. Um, you might use... Um, the sort of more the oil with more personality on you know maybe you would pour it on that steak you made uh, yeah. last mm-hmm. night on the in the skillet. Yes, the, the, your oil. My the, oil. Mm-hmm. The jazzed mm-hmm. up version. The jazzed up version, and this is that kind of persistent bitterness yes. and spiciness, what is which that? actually that those are the antioxidants. And this particular oil, this comes from an olive variety called Cordatina, has one of the highest polyphenol contents of all olive oils, and it's somewhere, I mean, it's just sort of leaps and bounds ahead of um, most other olive varieties. So what age is that olive oil? This was made in 2021, and mm. um, it's been stored well. We also, we store mm. under inert gas, and we bottle to order so that um, it kind of maintains its <clears throat> freshness longer. This is actually 2020. That's another reason why... Um, it may be My a little olive bit. That's the, yeah. the California yeah. oil. The California yeah. oil that, that we have sitting here um, is a year older. Olive oil, if it's stored properly, will last for several years. Um, but if it's you know stored in even a slightly warm environment, it probably won't last uh, longer than a year. Alain, let me ask you about estate bottled olive oils mm-hmm. yeah, from small vineyards. <laughs> Is there a designation, like a legal designation, so people will know that the olives came from that place? Because I know that a lot of producers buy olive oil, olives from Algeria and around the Mediterranean then blend it with Italian. So is there any way the consumer can get a handle on that? The key is to read the back label, and you're looking for um, any clue that lets you know that a person who owns a farm made the olive oil. And the idea is the idea of single estate means that the olives were you know, literally cared for by you know a person on a farm who turned this oil, um, you know, turned the olives into olive oil for you. The big bottler blender companies, those big multinational companies, they buy oceans of olive oil from you know all producer countries and tend just blend them up. And um, you know, every olive has a chance. I believe that. But they do. Each olive has its chance. But the way we make olive oil kind of makes it or breaks it. So a person who's farming their own land and trying to make the highest quality olive oil possible is going to make a good product. Of course, every year is different, and some years might be better than others, but they're doing their best. The big bottler blenders are really just going for um, quantity over quality. And if you read a back label, they are by law required to say, not that they always follow the law, but if they do, and you see this a lot, you'll see on the front it might say product of Italy because that's where it was bottled, and on the back it will say this oil comes from, and then there will be a list of countries, Spain, Morocco, Italy, Tunisia, and or Greece, that kind of thing. That's what you want to avoid. Again, the olives had a chance to be good olive oil. Unfortunately, they were turned into not very good olive oil and then just blended into this and the blends will not be consistent. That's why if you buy, I'm, I'm, I, this is a question, if you buy a very commercial olive oil, it may taste different the next. Well, actually, I think they are likely, I think the opposite, Carol, I think they're trying to make a consistent product so that it will taste the same all the time. 
Whereas an actual agricultural product every year is going to be different. And there's a beauty okay, in that. Like wine, right? That like is. The vintage, beautiful. you know, every year in wine is going to be slightly different. And you know, a producer can tell you it rained a lot this year. It did not rain at all this year. Um, and those things really have an impact on the flavor profile of the oil. And that's fun. Like, I, you know, it's nice to see what is it, what, what does the oil taste like this year? Mm. You know, it'll be, it'll be, you know, generally the same because you're using the same olive varieties, but there will be kind of that mark of the, um, of the vintage, let's say. So oil bought in a, a grocery store in Jackson has how long of a shelf life? If you're just buying the best you can find, it says extra virgin, take it home. How long do you have before that oil begins to turn out? If it's a really high quality olive oil, once you open it, you really need to use it. And it should stay good for, um, it'll have a best buy date, which is usually 18 months. But that's usually after bottling, which doesn't necessarily help you. Um, uh, it, once you open it and you're using it, you should just use it up because yeah. it's got oxygen in the bottle at that point, And therefore, it's going to be oxidized. All right. We've got uh, Sue calling from Beaumont. She has a comment about olive oil. Hello, Sue. How are you? Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. I, I recently heard a report on MPB, and it had to be MP, MPB because my radio is always – that's the only radio station I listen to – I was working around the house, and I heard this lady talking about olive oil, and she, she was an expert, supposedly. And she said, all olive oil is basically the same. You don't have to buy this expensive olive oil to get the olive oil experience, you know. And um, I was really surprised, because when I buy olive oil, I buy the uh, uh, extra virgin olive oil, you know. Yeah. Just, I use it for everything. So, uh, and then she says a lot of olive oils that you buy are adulterated by the, the, the manufacturer's add extra oil but you know like they'll add um, canola oil or peanut oil or something to it yeah is that true she says that all olive oils are basically the same you don't have to wait you don't have to waste your money buying the extra virgin cold pressed you know the the top quality oil well i would Uh, beg to differ yeah you must have been listening to super talk (laughs) (laughs) it was on mpb i don't know one afternoon and uh, one of their (laughs) afternoon shows but I always buy extra virgin olive oil and use it for whatever I'm going to use olive oil for, you know. That's good. Yeah, I agree. Use extra virgin. And, yeah, unfortunately, there are some fraudulent products on the market. Um, Italy is trying to curb that practice. And one thing that's helping curb that practice is consumers who are asking for high-quality products. And some of the big um, bottler blenders, you know, big kind of multinational companies are, in fact, starting to feel the pressure from the small farms who are gaining um, strength on the market, partly, I think, due to consumer education. Consumers are looking for high-quality products. And I think the Internet, uh, social media is helping us out here because small farmers like me can – we can – you know, direct – market directly to our consumers. So that's kind of helping spread the word on good olive oil. All right. Well, speaking of growers, you not only – produce olive oil you also participate in the agriculture end of things you actually own trees and and grow the the olives themselves talk a little bit about that process um we uh we farm organically and again we're going to for the you know healthiest fruit possible um we really the kind of biggest uh, moments in the field for us are pruning Pruning is very important to um, help the tree produce good, juicy olives and also mitigate an alternating production cycle. Olives actually want to make 
fruit every two years and not every year. And oh. we like to have olives every year. So by pruning it in certain ways, you can kind of encourage it to do that. Um, we also, um, if, if we have to treat the trees, we use organic products and um, one of which, for example, is porcelain dust. We use a thing called, it's called kaolino. It's this white porcelain dust that helps us combat uh, a fruit fly infestation, for example, which unfortunately with climate change has become much more common. And um, we, we coat the, the olives at a certain point with just this spray of porcelain dust so that the olive fruit flies don't want to land on it. They don't like it. Goodness. They go someplace else. All right. <laughs> I, I have heard or read that Olive trees can live up to 2,000 years. Yes. yes. That's they, a long time. It is a long time. I mean, olive trees have been revered uh, throughout the Mediterranean basin since the ancient Greeks. They, you know, they provide, they provide food, obviously, olives that you can eat and the oil. They provided light. Um, people used, um, you know, throughout the ancient world, used olive oil in their oil lamps, and that was their source of light. And then, of course, it has such an um, important um, part in religious traditions as well, and then just the wood of the olive tree. You know, you could also heat your home and cook your food. So, I mean, the olive tree was always kind of revered for so many different, um, you know, products. So, and how old are your trees? My trees are. Uh, my trees in Tuscany have unfortunately went. Had, they got hit by a freeze in the 1980s. So, their root systems are probably 80 to 100 years old, 50, 80, 100 years old, depending on the growth. Um, but they, if any of y'all have been to Tuscany, you've seen these trees that have four or five spindly trunks. They, um, the trees died from the ground up, but that's how hardy they are. The root systems lived and shot up new, new trunks. And olive trees love that rocky terrain, obviously, of, of your part of the world, they the do. Mediterranean. They do. And I would actually love to hear what Felder Rushing has to say about that, because somebody mentioned to me, I've been trying to grow hydrangeas. Hmm. And I see the hydrangeas here. I'm like, I'm just going to rip that thing out because it is not lichen where it is. Yeah, it's interesting. So the olive trees have that very kind of dusky moss green, olive green color on the leaves. And it's almost this silvery, dusky green. And somebody said to me that the plants that do best in our soil have that color leaf. And I even hmm. have, um, uh, it's a helichrysis, which is one of those very aromatic plant. They talk about it in the Bible even. It just has this perfume. It's very almost kind of, you know, sort of Asian oriental. And it has the same leaves, and it's doing a lot better than that hydrangea. <laughs> well, we'll have to get Felder to weigh in on the hydrangeas in uh, Tuscany and what his opinion is of what's going on there. Elaine, it's certainly been glad, uh, a pleasure to have you, and we are glad you came home to visit and drop by to see Deep South Dining. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here. And tell us, tell all of our listeners now where they can find you on the fabulous Internet and engage with you and all of your fabulous um, in- you can, enterprises. You can uh, check out my website, elainetrigiani.com, and they're going to post it. Uh, Java will uh, post the link for you. Got it. And sign up. Go to the contact section and get on my mailing list. I will be sending out a mailer in the next week or so talking about travel, online classes, and olive oil. So I'd love to hear from y'all. Great. 
Thanks so much for joining us, and we appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in today. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from folks just like yourself, and we thank you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, for my co-host Carol Palmer, and our very special guest, Elaine Trigiani. I am Malcolm White. And now we ask you to stay tuned for Marshall Ramsey's program entitled Now You're Talking, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. And we do hope you'll join us each Monday right here for Deep South Dining, rebroadcast on Sunday mornings at 9 and podcast wherever you find technology.